0: We do believe that over the long term, if you're looking further out three or four years down the road, uh, high yield potentially is a good place to be. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset
1: Management. We are mere days away from the U.S. election, and the big question is, how do you help your clients sail through the rough waters? In this episode, our experts Mark Race, Alfred Lee, and Chris Heeks chart a course for the Sea of Volatility on the Horizon – with actionable solutions to protect client portfolios, including defensive trades, higher-yielding ETFs, and guided portfolio strategies. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at BMOETFs.ca. Hello, and welcome
2: to the BMO Global Asset Management weekly ETF Insight Call uh, for Advisors. We're joined today by Alfred Lee and Chris Heeks, both PMs on our ETF desk. I'm your host, Mark Rays, the head of product for BMO GAM Canada, covering ETFs and funds. Let's dive into things here. We've got the U.S. election just a week away. Have there been any changes in the last-minute posturing which would cause you to move away from defensive growth? Any campaigning or debating uh, results that would lead you to adjust equity exposure in the portfolios? And to tie that in with what you're seeing in, in the markets, are you seeing any last-minute uh, positioning by advisors? And hopefully uh, you can really cover a fair spectrum of, uh, of exposures here on, on the equity side. I'll pass it over to Chris. Thank you. Yeah,
3: thanks, Mark. I'm no shortage of of things going on in the market, it seems like, uh, you know, kind of somewhat unfortunately. Uh, I think the short answer to the question is, you know, defensive growth, you know, we still think is overall, it is a prudent positioning and I think, you know, warranted by all the things happening in the market. You know, I think two kind of major concerns happening out there. One, obviously COVID uh, cases continuing to climb in North America, in Europe. I was actually looking at the data. Pleased to see India had actually come down a bit, but um, you know, globally is certainly still a huge issue and exerting, you know, as we know, a significant economic pressure through the lockdowns. You know, we had the U.S. banks a couple of weeks ago warning about credit risk. You know, as we move forward, so certainly that's one thing troubling the market. And the other thing, as you mentioned, the elections. Uh, we've seen that election volatility really pick up in the last few days, um, in particular. Um, so concerns around. You know, as Biden becomes the more likely, you know, much more likely candidate to be elected, although we we obviously never know until till the uh, till the time comes. Um, you know, the prospect of higher corporate tax rates I think is a, is concerning the market a little bit as well. So the VIX level, so it's been kind of in that twenty five to thirty range for quite a bit. We're actually at thirty seven as of yesterday, and uh, looks like we're climbing. So, you know, a lot of a lot of volatility in the market overall. I think you still look at the S and P uh, in the U.S. at 3,400. Um, it's not—I wouldn't say it's fully fully valued, but I, I also wouldn't say it's, it's certainly not cheap either. So, given all the kind of, you know, the the overall backdrop to equities right now, you know, I don't think this is a market you go you you go headlong into. Um, I think obviously investors need to maintain equity exposure. You know, generally speaking, you know, as, as Warren Buffett says, be you know, don't 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 be fearful. Um, in these types of markets, you want to keep that exposure, but I think having a defensive tilt uh, is certainly warranted. Um, you know, kind of looking at those those factors, you know, ETFs and how, how those have performed, you know, again, in terms of how do you achieve that defensive growth, and, you know, as you know, we've been talking about quality exposure, you know, and again, quality looks for companies with high profitability, companies with low debt, and consistent earning streams you know, tend to get into overweight so. In healthcare in the U.S. in, in recent years, and globally, so quality is first and foremost. And, and we've identified really been outperforming um, in good markets and bad, so in those both bull and bear environments. Uh, so, quality, you know, I think it's that that one where you continue to stick with the winning approach. You know, and and looking at that kind of factor overview of where we're at, you know, quality is giving you a five percent outperformance year to date versus the S and P five hundred. Um, and then looking kind of on a more recent, um, more recent level, since since September, you know, I think September is when we really started to see the market wobble, recovered somewhat, and then now again in the last few days starting to wobble again. You know, quality is giving you essentially inline performance uh, to the beta, kind of on a recent level. We remember in the COVID, you know, sell down of March, quality also gave you actually significant outperformance there. So, you know, in a factor overview, I think that's. That's still a winner there. You know, the other dynamics that we're seeing right now, you know, particularly in the last kind of three, four days, um, that reopening trade, you know, is is, is certainly weakening, um, somewhat buckling a bit under under this um, increase in volatility. So um, generally what we'll see is value ETFs will underperform and dividends will also underperform um, with that connection to value. So we've seen that in the last couple of days. Um so those are I think certainly some things to keep an eye on. You no know, low volatility, actually the outperformance in September, so from September to now, last couple months, um, outperforming the index by three percent. So that's nice to see. Obviously, low ball, you know, we, we moved a bit away from low ball, um, you know, as we're in a cyclical kind of recovery coming off that March low. But now low ball's starting to show up again as a, as a very valuable um, component of a portfolio. So um, again, um, that would be the most defensive, you know, component of a defensive growth, but mixing that quality in the low ball, certainly having benefits for for investors right now. I think, you know, overall, we, um, you know, what we've been taking away from the campaigning and the debating, and I think our first takeaway going back a few weeks, we were on the call, myself and Alfred, and, 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 and uh, we were talking about it. You know, my takeaway back then was, you know, the only thing I could really take away was more volatility. Um you know, and that looks like it's kind of playing out, um, again, with the VIX increasing those two big concerns of, of COVID and just general political concerns um, actually playing a role. So that's kind of, I think, overall. I mean, on the positive side, because um, I don't want to be super negative, it <laughs> might sound a little negative today. But, you know, on the positive side, I think there are a couple of good catalysts in the market. You know, I think that election, obviously, there's the ability for that election volatility to somewhat compress next week, um, you know, hope that we get, you know, a clear winner and it won't be contested. We, you know, we note that the contested election is likely going to pull out that volatility and uncertainty even further. Um, but there's a strong likelihood that you know Biden is going to, going to win on election night, just given the polling numbers. So um, that's going to be, you know, we can debate the impact of the tax hikes, but I think the certainty of the election outcome would be welcomed by investors. And then what's going to follow from there is the stimulus package. And I think the market has not liked the lack of being able to agree on a stimulus package, but that ability to get that done, that's going to be a positive, positive catalyst for equities. But, you know, I think overall weighing everything, you know, in this kind of a long answer, but, you know, defensive growth I think is still the place to be. So, you know, what that means for us is in the U.S., probably the quality, two-thirds, low-ball, one-third, ZUQ, ZLU. You know, in Canada, having a, that good mix of, low volatility ZLB and the broad beta ZcN and then in you know in Europe we didn't talk a lot about Europe but but again having that mix of quality low ball in the market so like a ZEQ, eq ZLD ZE, ZEA, or ZDM so a few tickers there too to think about and um, you know and, and then last but not least just in terms of that advisor flows wanted to, to touch on that aspect of the question. Um, it's been interesting. So the last week, and, and then Alfred's gonna get into it in great depth, I think, shortly, but you know, the last week certainly flows have gone to the fixed income side. So, you know, I think the concerns around equities have, have certainly heightened and advisors, you know, net net are are minding their asset allocation. And I think that's that's definitely always an important thing to do. You know, asset allocation drives ninety percent of returns, as, as we famously say. So um, those flows have gone to aggregate bonds, they've gone to short-term kind of investment grade exposure on the equity side, we've seen where we have seen close have been away from the U S and, and, and kind of more mix of international kind of EM as well as U S and Canada. So, um, so again, advisors minding their asset allocation. And I think given that kind of, you know, what you're seeing in the market there, again, it just circles back to the equity side, defensive growth makes a lot of sense because in a way you're, you're kind of minding your risk on the equity side by having a, a little bit of a defensive approach right
0: now. If I could just quickly touch on uh, fixed income. So, you know, as, as Chris mentioned, um, you know, what really transpired in the last couple of weeks is, you know, volatility has picked up. So in terms of, you know, what we're seeing on the fixed income side, uh, you know, we have been seeing advisors and institutions kind of prepositioned ahead of the presidential elections. Uh, the common trait that we are seeing is essentially you know, putting on, uh, you know, a hedge against market risk. So so essentially, you know, we're seeing a lot of institutions particularly uh, put on trades to hedge out tail risk. So, for example, uh, ZLFL, which is our long-term federal uh, bond ETF, uh, that's been a very popular trade for a lot of institutions to manage uh, equity market volatility. Uh, That may result from the election and the aftermath as well. Um, So, you know, generally when the equity market sells off, uh, what tends to happen is that the yield curve does tend to flatten, uh, which is going to be beneficial for long-term bonds, which is you know, the reason why a lot of these institutions, in in especially asset allocation accounts, this is why they're essentially putting on that trade. Um, but on the retail side, what we've been seeing is that a lot of advisors have been moving to cash or cash-like positions, so ZST, uh, which is our ultra-short-term bond ETF. That's been very popular because I think you know, what advisors are effectively doing right now is that they're moving the cash um, so moving to the sidelines uh, ahead of next week, and then keeping some dry powder on hand uh, to take advantage of any opportunities that may arise uh, from the in, you know in the aftermath of the elections. But you know one one trade that I did want to note is that I think if you are a risk taker, and that Chris you know mentioned a good point that you know it's on you know you don't know the results until the results are come out. But I think you know if you look at high yield, um, it potentially may be a good place to be because if you look at you know, CDX spread since the middle of September, uh, they've widened 50 to 55 basis points, meaning meaning that, you know, Biden victory is probably largely priced in already. Um, so I, I do think that if Trump is able to pull off, you know, that long shot victory, um, and you never know because, you know, there is, you know, potentially a, a um, asylum majority out there uh, that hasn't expressed their vote. Um, so if he is able to pull that off. I do think that high yield, you know, spread can, can uh, quickly compress, um, you know, rather quickly making, you know, ETFs like ZHY, which is a high-yield ETF, uh, potentially a good trade. And, and ZJK, which is the unhedged version, uh, I think is a good trade if Trump is able to pull out that victory. Um, so over the short term, we, we do believe, you know, high-yield potentially is a good uh, potential ta- tactical trade. But over the long term, uh, as we mentioned back in uh, February or March on the podcast, uh, we do believe that over the long term, if you're looking for three or four years down the road, Uh, high yield potentially is a good place
1: to be. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes available in this same series, where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Our latest deep dive unpacks the North American banking universe, a favorite for Canadian investors, but one that's taken a hit in the face of the pandemic. Tune in to discover innovative trade ideas that can make this sector work for your clients, even when the going gets tough.
2: Let's switch gears. Uh, Alfred, we have the Q4 update now available on your portfolio strategy report. You've been running this guided portfolio for quite some time. Uh, Can you give us a quick walkthrough on your process and how you arrive at this portfolio? Thanks.
0: Sure, Uh, so for those that don't know, uh, we do manage a guided portfolio strategy, a balanced portfolio and also a fixed income strategy as well. So we do put this out on a quarterly basis. Uh, So that's available on the dashboard. Uh, So what we essentially do is we uh, will make tactical changes based on what's going on in the economy. Uh, So with the balanced portfolio, what we're doing is we're essentially taking a long-term view, um, but we also want to be nimble enough around the edges to make any necessary changes uh, if we need to reposition based on any you know, c- upcoming headwinds that may transpire over the next quarter, any you know, tactical opportunities that may arise as well. Uh, but at the gist of it, I would say, you know, at the core, uh, the premise of what we're doing is that we're considering you know, a traditional portfo- 60-40 portfolio, we would consider that you know, largely in- inadequate for today's environment, so you know, we believe that a properly constructed, constructed balanced portfolio um, that is well diversified. Needs exposure to, you know, what we call you know, non-correlated assets or what we call uh, hybrid assets. So that would be anything from, you know, high yield, uh, emerging market debt, preferred shares, golds, tips, you know, anything that doesn't fit under that traditional uh, equity or bond bucket. Uh, so the baseline, you know, the starting point of our portfolio is essentially what we call, you know, 55-35-10 model. So 55% dedicated to equities, uh, 35% to bonds, and then 10% to Uh, hybrid. So uh, when we're putting together the portfolio, we are, you know, taking a holistic view, uh, meaning that, you know, when we are building the portfolio, um, if we're, you know, putting something into the portfolio, we have to consider the value add to the overall strategy. And similarly, if we're taking something out, does it create a gap? And if it does create a gap, how do we backfill that gap as well? Uh, So when we're putting together the portfolio, we're essentially looking for, uh, you know, three principles or three tenets. Uh, one is to generate yield, and as we all know, you know, in, in, you know in recent years, as we've been in the low-rate environment, generating yield has become increasingly difficult. Uh, the second principle is providing defensive growth, and you know, Chris touched upon this point. Uh, I think you know, defensive growth is very important because I think if you look at uh, the overall demographics, people are living longer. Uh, also, a lot of investors want to pass down assets to the next generation as well. Uh, so, meaning that even in you know the most defensive portfolios, you probably need you know uh, you know some elements of defensive growth equities in order to slow down that burn rate in the
3: portfolio. Uh,
0: last but not least, I think you want to provide stability as well. As we all know, you know volatility has become more and more erratic over the last decade um, as information flows to the market, you know, quicker and quicker. Uh, you know, volatility arises. You know that much that much faster even compared to even five years ago. Um, so overall, you know, in terms of the model, we essentially are taking you know a top-down approach uh, when we're allocating to each of the three buckets of equities, bonds, and hybrids. Um, we are looking at you know, how they perform relative to each other, and at the same time, how do they address you know the three principles that I mentioned as well. So uh, within each of the asset classes, we are taking you know longer-term. Uh, View on relative strength. Uh, So, you know, taking Canadian equities as an example, if you look at the long-term performance of you know low volatility equities, uh, so say uh, our low volatility Canadian equity ETF ZLB, uh, when you compare it to the TSX, it's handedly outperformed the TSX to uh, you know since 2008. So, uh, you know, overall, we do incorporate uh, qualitative views from our uh, multi-asset team. Uh, we also take in our own qualitative views as well. Uh, so, for example, we want to, you know, we want to ask ourselves, you know, whether these trends are sustainable over the long term. So, you know, looking at ZLB or staying on the topic of ZLB, you know, if you look at the long-term demographics within Canada, uh, the bulk of the population is, you know, baby boomers uh, who are, you know, in retirement or nearing retirement. The next biggest cohort is Generation X, and collectively, I think they manage or. They they own you know 60 to 70 percent of the investable assets. So over the long term, we do believe that you know, there's going to be you know wide-scale de-risking of portfolios. Uh, so over the next decade, we we think that's going to be favorable for you know, low volatility in general, especially in Canada. Um, so that's what we do for uh, each of the asset classes, while while also considering you know how they fit uh, relative to the overall portfolio, um, while addressing you know the three principles that we talked about as well. Um, around the peripherals so this is you know largely a core satellite portfolio um, you know when we look at the smaller tactical positions let's call that you know three to five percent of the portfolio um, those are more based on opportunities so we look at things like valuations, uh, potential dislocations in the market and then also uh, macroeconomic
2: trends as well. Great. thanks for that uh, overview Alfred now let's let's talk about uh the results the portfolio itself uh what tilts are you making within uh, the, the guided portfolio for example when i take a quick look i see canada and both canadian and u.s banks being well represented um and preferred shares representing the non-traditional or hybrid uh, section of the portfolio that you mentioned can you comment on some of the bets that you're making in the portfolio Thank you.
0: Sure. Um, so, you know, if you look at the guide portfolio right now, um, overall, 43% of it is allocated to Canada. So, you know, a good portion of that, I would note, is coming from fixed income, however. So, uh, you know, when we are looking at fixed income, uh, the core of our allocation does tend to be aggregate bond ETFs, such as, you know, ZAG or uh, the discount bond equivalent, ZDB. Um, the reason why is because over the long term, it's, it's very hard to beat your aggregate bond index. Um, and that's why you know, it makes up a good core position in, in our fixed income allocation. Uh, when you look at the equity component in our portfolio, uh, we are overweight the U.S. and we have been for quite some time. And again, this goes back to you know, the relative strength of U.S. equities over um, Canadian equities over the long term. So if you look at the performance of you know, the S&P 500 versus uh, the TSX since the market bottom in 2009, Uh, U.S. equities have outperformed uh, Canadian equities by a factor of, you know, close to two and a half times. Um, Also, you know, going back to, you know, looking at things from a qualitative approach, if you look at the U.S. economy overall, uh, it's much more robust and much more diversified than the Canadian uh, Canadian economy. So we do believe that over the long term, um, you know, it is possible that the U.S. economy with that long-term outperformance is definitely uh, sustainable. And overall, I think if you look at the composition of the U.S. equity market, uh, you have exposure to things like technology, uh, a lot of blue chip names as well, a lot of, just a lot of exposures that we don't have up here in Canada. And you know, speaking on technology in particular, that that's going to that's drive a lot of the future growth over the next decade, uh, even the next two decades. And when you look at uh, the Canadian economy, I would say overall, uh, you know, the composition is largely energy um, and then commodities in general. Uh, that's pretty much, I would consider, you know, a lot of, you know, it pretty much makes up the older economy. Uh, So we do believe that, you know, that long-term outperformance in U.S. equities is definitely sustainable. Uh, In terms of banks, uh, you did mention banks. Uh, Canadian banks, uh, that's more of a tactical play. Um, So if you look at the valuations in Canadian banks right now, uh, the current P.E. ratio of banks as a group, I think, is about, you know, 11 to 12 times earnings. Uh, The TSX right now is roughly about 25 times earnings. Uh, So banks on a whole is, you know, very attractively valued at this point. And, you know, as we all know, as Canadian investors, uh, Canadian banks play a very central role in terms of the Canadian economy as well. Um, But just going back to your question on, you know, tilts towards uh, a balanced portfolio, I think, you know, overall, if you look at a traditional 60-40 portfolio, uh, the yields in the fixed income market have been, you know, very compressed over the last 10 years. Uh, since coronavirus broke out in February and February March, uh, yields have become even more compressed as well. So, uh, you know, looking at the yield to maturity of the uh, FTSE TMX universe, it's roughly about, um, I think, about roughly 1.2% right now. So that means, you know, the rest of your portfolio has to make up for that yield shortfall. Um, so that's why, you know, we have tilt towards things like uh, covered call strategies, uh, you know, which essentially allows investors to, you know, extract more yield out of equities. Uh, But it's also a good way for investors to, you know, use volatility and and have it work in their favour as well. Um, Same thing goes for preferred shares. Uh, Our entire allocation to hybrid assets is currently in uh, both Canadian and U.S. preferred shares, uh, just because it's a good way for investors to make up for, you know, again, that yield shortfall that's created by fixed income. Um, And overall, when you look at the correlation levels of, you know, preferred shares, uh, both in Canada and the U.S., um, you know, very low correlation. So, so it does make, you know, very good uh, portfolio construction tools for your overall portfolio. Um, so overall, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of Canadian investors have had a very rough go with uh, Canadian preferred shares over the last three to four years. Uh, but again, you know, we're taking more of a holistic view and considering how it fits in the overall portfolio. So, you know, when you, can, you, know, when you consider how uh, Canadian preferred shares uh, pair up with you know, U.S. preferred shares or even better, uh, you know, long, uh, long-term U.S. treasuries, uh, you know, in combination, they could be very well balanced. And, and again, you know, we do believe that it plays a very critical role uh, in portfolio construction. And, you know, last but not least, one thing I will say about uh, rate resets in particular, uh, you know, they offer one characteristic that a lot of uh, other, you know, asset classes don't offer, which is a hedge against uh, rising interest rates. So, as I kind of mentioned on the call last week, I do think that if a vaccine is announced, uh, potentially what could happen is that interest rates, especially you know, longer-term interest rates, uh, potentially could reprice higher. So I think you know, something like a rate reset allows you to uh, hedge against that potential rising rate uh, risk.
2: Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. Uh, maybe one last quick one before we go to the line. Um, Your thoughts on 60-40 portfolios with with the dropping yield uh, and fixed income. You you commented on needing to raise yield elsewhere in your portfolio, but we've certainly seen a lot of articles uh, really debating that equity weight and whether that potentially should be rising. Obviously, the offset there is is higher risk. Uh, Your thoughts on the, the highest level of asset allocation. Thanks. Sure, uh, maybe I can start with this, and Chris,
0: you can jump in after. Um, but as I kind of alluded to already, I think you know that um, you know when you're looking at that traditional 60/40 model, um, in my opinion, I think it's broken. Um, I think you know it's, it's very important for investors to incorporate you know non-traditional assets in their in their asset mix. Um, so things like preferred shares, uh, Zed Pay, which is our premium yield ETF as well. I think those are very good options in terms of making up for that yield shortfall. Uh, that's created for fixed income. Um, but overall, I think, you know, overall, a lot of people are uh, questioning fixed income. One thing I will say is that fixed income is still, you know, very critical role or plays a very critical role in, in terms of, uh, you know, what what it contributes to overall portfolio construction. Uh, you know, one thing is that when equity markets fell off, uh, fixed income does offer, you know, that negative correlation that, uh, is very useful in, in hedging out that equity market risk. Um, over the last couple of years, uh, you know, one thing I have noticed is that advisors have been, you know, moving to cash or GICs, which I think makes sense. I think, you know, if you are looking at everything from a yield perspective, um, if you take on more duration risk, they're not necessarily rewarded in terms of yield right now. Um, but, you know, again, if you look at everything from um, a diversification perspective, Uh, When the equity market fell off, uh, that cash or that GIC is not going to offer you that balance that you need uh, in the portfolio. Um, So, you know, one thing I I, I will note is that uh, even though yields have been very compressed in in fixed income, it still plays a very critical role uh, in terms of portfolio construction. So um, I did recently put together a short presentation on how to evolve uh, beyond that traditional 60-40 portfolio and how to incorporate the traditional assets. Um, so if you do want a copy of that,
3: please reach out to your ETF specialist, and we'll make sure uh, you get a copy of that. I'd just add on to that. I, I think, um, you know, you're speaking about the importance of fixed income. I think that's, you know, I don't think the 60-40, I, I differ a little bit. I wouldn't say broken. I would say certainly it can be improved. You know, now, we're, now investors are talking about a 55-35-10 uh, or a 50-30-20. Well, you know, if you still have a 50-30, that means, you know, relative to a sixty forty, you've kept you know you've kept eighty you've kept eighty percent of it. You're just reallocating some some additional weight. So, um, Mark, I think your question about does a seventy thirty make sense? You know, first of all, you, you have to figure out your own asset allocation. What's what's appropriate for you? Um, but um, like Alfred said, you can't ignore the the importance of fixed income. Uh it's up nine percent this year in March and April. You know, in the worst of the equity markets. Uh, that goes up 2%. So it it plays an important role. You know, I think the way I look at fixed income is it does two things. It gives you capital preservation, you know, especially when times are bad, and it gives you income, you know. So what is it not doing now? Well, it still gives you capital preservation, so so it does the job there, but, you know, the income side obviously is where it's it's not giving you as much. So, you know, I think, you know, investors can improve upon the 60-40 by looking at those two components of fixed income and saying, how can they improve? like on the capital preservation side, um, you know, an alternative is to use this gold, you know, a little bit of gold in your portfolio also helps um, give you some capital preservation. When, when equities are going down, generally that's a good thing for gold. You know, gold on average gives you a 6% return over time. So again, it's a hedge that you can incorporate in your portfolio that, but it's a hedge that pays you. So, you know, looking to incorporate a little bit gold and then, you know, like Alfred says on the income side, you know, I go to our suite of, of cover calls and, and the BMO premium yield, Pay um, monetizing volatility with the VIX at 37, you know, like it is right now, we can turn that volatility into an income stream. So not to say that you can, you know, kind of just replace, fixed come with equities and you're going to have a similar risk exposure. Obviously, you have to be mindful of your overall risk, but getting into um, these exposures where we can, you know, monetize volatility and increase income is is a way to tilt away from a plain vanilla 60-40, I think, improve
2: your portfolio. Great. Thanks, Chris. With that, I would like to check if there are any questions on the line. Alfred, for a PM who has a lot of long Federals in their portfolio, is now the right time to start de-risking their fixed income? And if so, what would you recommend? Thanks.
0: Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think um, you know, uh, overall, as I mentioned before, I think you know something like a long federal position. I I think it's a good long-term strategic position in the portfolio. So I think you know at all times you should probably have you know five percent allocation to uh, something like a ZFL or or even better ZTL, which is our uh, long-term U.S. Treasury ETF. Um, as I mentioned, it's a good way to hedge against you know that market risk um, or you know that tail risk event. Um, you know, personally, I would hold it until after the elections. Um, you know, as we mentioned at the top of the call, um, because of the election then, you know, the potential aftermath, if it is a contested uh, election, um, you potentially could have volatility in the market. So it's a good way to hedge out that uh, equity market volatility. But you know, as a tactical position, so if you're looking at the trade independently, um, you know, my concern would be that, as I as I kind of alluded to already, um, if we do get a vaccine introduced, um, you know, you you could potentially get, you know, the yield curve curve, uh, steepened beyond the three-year mark. I think inside the three years, I think, you know, yields are probably pretty safe given that the Bank of Canada has said, you know, they're going to keep rates relatively, you know, where they are until 2023. Um, So again, as a tactical trade, I would probably uh, sell it after the election, Um, but as a long-term strategic position, I would probably hold it in the portfolio. In terms of what I would move into, um, I think ZQB, which is our uh, quality bond ETF, I think that's a, a good one to uh, reposition to. I think overall, if you look at you know credit spreads, it's still relatively wide compared to pre-COVID levels. Uh, but with ZQB, I think the benefit of that is that it doesn't hold triple B. So uh, if you do get downgrades, uh, keep in mind that you know a lot of the portfolio managers, whether you're active or passive, uh, do have to sell those bond positions. Uh, which does create a lot of selling pressure on those individual funds. So um, ZQB, which is X triple B, so there's no triple Bs, uh, it does give you that
2: extra layer of uh, protection against um, uh, downgrade risk. Good morning, Alfred and Chris. Thank you, as
0: always, for the great insight. Uh, BMO has great asset allocation tools like ZCON, grows ZGROW, ZESG should those be considered more the core portion of portfolio construction and all the defensive growth um sectorial fixed income etfs like the long treasuries should be more seen as a satellite do you have a view on this does it make sense thank you
3: i think you know there's you know we're providing tools that give you the ability to to really customize and create a portfolio you know however. You know, you want to do it from a portfolio management point of view. I think you know one thing: ETFs have shown is you could do a lot worse than a very simple ZedGrow Grow portfolio. At uh, uh, Mark, help me out: is it 20 basis points or 18 uh, basis points? um, But very, very low cost, um, well diversified into you know literally thousands of stocks and and hundreds, if not thousands, of bonds. So that's a very that's a very good way to do it. Um, We also have the tools. You know, if you want to you know, dial that exposure a little bit more precisely. So, and again, you can do that on the fixed income side with some of the tools Alfred's talking about. On the equity side, you can do that with, um, you know, uh, the quality, um, so factor exposure. You know, I, I think there's nothing wrong if someone wants to just own a quality ETF rather than, say, the broad data for 100% of your, your U.S. exposure. I. I don't have a problem with that at all. It's a very well diversified portfolio. It's got a very good track return over time of, of adding to return and not adding risk. So, um, you know, I think that's a very good approach too. So you can customize, you know, obviously, uh, um, the asset allocation, um, tools like the Z Grow, the Z Battle, uh, the ZESG, which is a great addition to our lineup. Um, uh, those are very static over time. Um, you know, we do not expect those, um, you know, static asset allocation mixes to, to vary too much over time. You know, they're going to reflect the broad market. Um, you know, a lot of advisors want to tilt a little bit more around that. So, you know, what, long answer may or may not work, but, um, you know, I think really from our point of view, you know, in, in my mind, it's about providing the tools to, pro, you know, to, so that the, um, the, the advisor the client, then client can kind of implement, you know, whatever really makes sense for them. And for some, it might be as simple as a battle. And for, for others, you know, you might have, you know, 10, 12 ETFs in there to really dial down to get that exposure that, that you want. That's, that's how I look at
2: it. Uh, so I want to thank everyone for listening in. Uh, we appreciate you doing so. Appreciate the questions. Of course, thanks to both Chris and Alfred for uh, your comments today. Your insights really appreciated. And I just want to mention uh, for those that do dial in on a weekly basis that next week we are going to uh, step away from this for just one week. We're going to have a special U.S. election call, uh, which is actually going to be a webinar uh, with Brian Belsky and John Adams, two of our portfolio managers out of the U.S., uh, just the timing of it being uh, the morning after the election. We thought that would be an interesting uh, webinar to host. Uh, So just stepping away for one week, uh, and hopefully you'll have the opportunity to uh, listen and watch that call, which I think will be really informative uh, following the the evening of the U.S. election and whatever might be going on uh, first thing in the morning. So with that, just want to say thank you again to everyone for listening in,
1: and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Race, Alfred Lee, and Chris Heeks for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. And there you have it. A defensive strategy through quality and low vol is perhaps the best way to navigate the uncertainty ahead. Other clients may prefer ZPay or ZHY, two ETFs designed to earn higher income even when there's market turbulence. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe, and if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time, without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance.